I'm going to cut down one cigarette a day or two cigarettes a day or I'm only going to have X amount of cigarettes a day. And so starting small, breaking it down and really focusing on the consistency and the pattern. And then once that becomes more automatic and habitual, then you can focus on cutting it down some more and having that consistency rather than I'm just going to quit and not having actually any sort of process in place. Welcome to the Eat, Live and Move podcast by Miyagi, a space where we bring you the latest science-backed conversations, expert insights and practical tips relating to all things health and wellness. Hello, I am Dr. Gina Cleo, your personal habit change expert. And I'm Dr. Ross Walker, a cardiologist and preventative health expert. Together with our 60 plus years of experience, thanks mostly to Ross, we're on a mission to help you improve your health and transform your habits so that you can eat, live and move better one habit at a time without the fluff and without the fats. In today's episode, we're going to unpack whether New Year's resolutions really work and if there's any point in setting them. Yeah, and, and look, over the years, 40 years of seeing patients, that so many New Year's resolutions, they last about a week. So let's talk about this. It's true. It's true. Look, the turn of the new year can be a time for reflection on the year that we've just had and what a year that was and setting goals and resolutions for the year ahead. And we tend to do that at the turn of the new year. But when it comes to New Year's resolutions, it can be tempting to want to overhaul our life. We want to lose weight, get fit, save more money, be better parents, better partners, better friends. We want to travel more, start a new hobby, meditate, start a meditation journal, etc., etc. And And I just research- saw the peak flying across the sky out there. <laughs> <coughs> That's right. And now your next goal is going to be to catch the pig. <laughs> research shows that the bigger the goals that we set for ourselves, the less time we actually commit to that goal because we get overwhelmed naturally. We also know that trying to work towards big goals or having too many goals is not only harder to achieve, but they are so much harder to maintain when we're comparing to just setting smaller goals. I think we can sometimes have this misconception, and I I certainly speak to lots of people like this, and I'm sure you do too, Ross, you know, that the beginning of the year turns over this new superpower of feeling motivated and being a better version of ourselves. But I always say to people, you know, motivation isn't this magical fairy that arrives in January. So if your New Year's resolutions don't fit in with your lifestyle the way that it is now, then they're not likely to be sustained for very long. And this is one of the reasons that up to 92% of New Year's resolutions fail by the end of February. And and also, I make the point all the time that 58% of statistics are made up on the spot. But this one was accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's interesting. Legitimately. I I get it. But but, but – you think about New Year's resolutions. People often spend New Year's consuming far far too much alcohol, so they wake up feeling dreadful on, on New Year's Day. <laughs> How are they going to be motivated to do anything at that stage, for goodness sake? It's true. It's true. I do often think about that as well because, you know, you can't start a New Year's resolution on like the 3rd of, February, oh, 3rd of January when you're feeling better. You've got to start it on no. the 1st, right? That's the whole point yep. of a new year. Yeah. Yep. Now, we're very, very good at starting on new goals, but we are not so good at actually sticking at them. So 
What can science tell us about how to avoid slipping back into old habits and making those goals stick? Well, firstly, it's important to recognize that any change is inherently difficult. And I say that as a a behavioral scientist, a habit change expert, change is not easy. Our brain- Why is that? Why is that? Well, our brains are hardwired to crave routine and resist change. Our brains are all about preserving energy. I've got to interject for a second. Okay, go. If If our brain is hardwired to crave routine and resist change, why is it there are so many chemicals that are there for anticipation of new experiences and so many people take risks? Why, why does that happen? Well, I think they're anticipation of rewards. They're not necessarily anticipation of okay. new experiences. The rewards yep. can be things like strolling on our phone or like social media or drinking or uh, nicotine. They're things that we are routinely doing. Well, so yes, yeah, some people are routinely doing them, but uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I just I just think it's interesting that that – uh, as uh, looking at evolutionary biology, you look at the fact that uh, that human beings, our, our ancestors from over ten thousand years ago, had to be uh, had to be able to adjust to change because they had to be constantly on the alert for danger. So I just think that 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 it, it's interesting that people crave routine, but really our life is is routine for many of us. But sometimes bad things happen. I think that's probably one of the reasons why, as a society, we didn't cope that well with COVID because it was something completely new and we had all of these impositions on our life that we weren't used to. It was really quite interesting. I mean, Ross, on an average day, we make about 35,000 decisions. So you can imagine our brain is already using up so much cognitive energy and resources just to get through the day. So that's why our brain loves habits and automations and, you know, things that we do routinely because it's one less thing that it has to think about. That's why we're drawn to doing the same things day in, day out. Hmm. And it's interesting, even, it, yeah, even when you go on holidays, you still wake up in the morning, have breakfast, go and have a coffee, come have lunch, you're still, still yeah. dealing all around Same eating schedule. and other things. Yeah, it's a schedule. Yeah, but even okay. the little things, you brush your teeth in exactly the same way, you dry yourself out of the, sh- you know, after a shower in exactly the same sequence. It's just things we don't actually think about. Yeah, so if 92% of New Year's resolutions fail... What do we need to do to be in that 8% to achieve the goals? Ooh, good question. The first tip I'm going to give you here is to really focus on rituals, not results. We want to focus on the actions that are going to help us to become healthier, fitter, happier people, not just the end result. So instead of saying, I, you know, I want to run five kilometers or you know, whatever the goal it might be, you might want to say, I'm going to consistently go running three days a week. And if you consistently run three days a week, you'll eventually run five kilometers. And it's a really simple mindset change to see reaching goals as part of a journey rather than, you know, and it just has such a a big impact. I really hate the word journey, but it's true. Like it's, it's here to stay because it does make sense. In researchers um, from Stanford, the uh, Stanford Graduate School of Business actually interviewed about 1,600 people around the world who had reached goals, and their goals were things like boosting their fitness or tracking how much they were eating. And some of the people were asked to think about attaining the goal as completing a journey 
or reaching a destination, whereas others were like they didn't receive that same prompt. And the people who embraced the journey metaphor were much more likely to actually stick with their new behaviors. Yeah, and so, can I say? Can I say on that? One of the greatest philosophers ever, Hugh Hefner, once said, "Life's a journey, and the destination's death. So you better enjoy the journey." Really, have no. I have no comment on that. I'm going to just continue <laughs> right on. Go straight to the, through <laughs> to the keeper. <laughs> Jeez, I really hope our producer cuts that out. <laughs> if not, at I, least put it. I in hope the our producer doesn't cut it out. <laughs> oh my. All right, moving on. So we want to see goals as a journey, you know, because doing that for these study participants, it gave them this greater sense of personal growth. It was a feeling of like changing and learning over the course of the experience. And and it was that feeling in turn that then actually explained why they stuck to their new habits. Because if the goal is the journey, then it's a process that we're undertaking day in, day out. Let's say someone wants to give up smoking as one example. What should what what should they actually be saying to themselves or writing down? What's the journey there? Well, the journey there, okay, firstly, you want to make it nice and easy and start really small. So the journey for that might be I'm going to cut down one cigarette a day or two cigarettes a day, or I'm only going to have X amount of cigarettes a day. And so starting small, breaking it down and really focusing on the consistency and the pattern. And then once that becomes more automatic and habitual, then you can focus on cutting it down some more and having that consistency rather than I'm just going to quit and not having actually any sort of process in place. Okay. All right. Good. Makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. The other one I want to share is the power of three. Now, did you know that our brains are only capable of making up to three changes at once? And Oh, I see. I, I was like five. I mean, oh, I know. Have you tried five, though? Have you tried every, it? No, but every, everything, all of my books have been based around five. If you think of it logically, <laughs> you've got five digits on your hand, you've got five senses, there are five seasons, if you count Frankie Valley. So everything's what? in fives. <laughs> but have you ever done any neuroscience research? Because there's a no. lot of threes in there. Yep. No, I like There that. we go. Yeah, I'm going to stick to three because that's what our brain's into. Actually, you know, I've tried five because I was like, look, I have a pretty high capacity for doing things and I be- I'm a behavioral scientist. So we can we can do five little goals. And a few years ago, I did five teeny tiny goals to try to put this power of three into like I was trying to debunk it. So I did, I want to meditate for 10 minutes a day. It was like two glasses of water first thing in the morning. I think I had a great, right, three things that I was grateful for, exercise for 30 minutes, and I can't even remember the last one. I think it was like stretching. I tried to do it and I- The last one would have been improving your memory. A prob- I <laughs> should have been, sorry. right? Sorry. That was a long time ago. Come on, Ross. Hey, I have perfect vision. <laughs> Unlike you. No, I'm just kidding. So out of the five, I tried and I tried and I tried to do them, and it started to feel like a real chore. It's something that I had to keep focusing on. It was- and I kept slipping up on them. I would probably end up doing two or three a day consistently. So then I cut it down to four. And yes, I was more consistent, but I still couldn't get the five. Cut it down to three. All right. I accept boom, we're going to do I three. Then. The so, so go three. with the three. Power of three, people. <laughs> so the idea is that our brains actually feel overwhelmed when we try to change more than three things at one time. And, you know, Ross, you mentioned it earlier with COVID and how that was 
quite exhausting and, and both mentally and emotionally and, and everything. And part of that was actually the changes that were going on in our environment. It was learning new terminology. It was learning new rules. And part, you know, that was actually taking up a lot of cognitive resources and mental capacity, making it then harder to eat well and exercise and have a, a good mental health and all the things that we suffered from, you know, during that time and then lingering from that. So this year, or in every year, try to commit to just three tiny habit changes that you can enjoy and maintain. And trust me, you will be amazed at how much you can actually achieve when you just make small, consistent changes. So what about staying accountable for what you've done? Okay, accountability. I'm so glad you bring this up, Ross. Once you've selected goals that you want to achieve you know, for the upcoming year or whatever it might be, having accountability and tracking your progress is actually key to achieving those goals and making them stick. Simply by sharing our goals with our family or close friends or chatting about our progress with them can actually help us to keep motivated and to stay on track. One of my favorite ways to stay accountable is actually using a habit tracker. I don't necessarily... Sort of sh- I, I'll share my goals with my husband, but I'm not likely to call my friends and be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. I mean, realistically, but I do use habit there tracker is a habit apps tracker and they app? are a game changer. And that's a really good way to stay accountable. What's the best one? Oh, see, I'm the kind of person who's like flavor of the month kind of person and it changes all the time. I, uh, I'm not even going to say it because by the time someone's listened to this podcast, I would have already liked a different one. Now, the last thing I want to mention is to plan for when, not if, obstacles happen. Look, in a perfect world, there would be no last minute work or family commitments or big dinners or events that might blow our healthy eating plans. But the reality is there are always going to be things that pop up, which, you know, they're potentially going to derail our best intentions. So we should always have a plan that's ready to put into action. You want to think about maybe some of the obstacles that could happen and some of the things that you can do to help mitigate that or, you know, a plan B. Love a good plan B. So what sort of plan Bs? Give us an example. Well, it's okay. So say, for example, you miss your gym class. You had a a gym class planned and you missed it. Instead of going, oh, I missed it and now I can't do anything. You know, you could go out and head out for a walk instead, for example. That's a plan B. Okay. Yep. Very good. Now, before we wrap up today's episode, we're going to finish with our member question of the week, which is from Tina, who says, I'm a 58-year-old female. My doc wants me to go on cholesterol medication. My cholesterol has climbed to 7.7. I asked for a coronary calcium score test. As five years ago, it was zero. But now she says that it's 1.5, which is in that 67th percentile. I'm a bit confused and she doesn't know either. People are talking about medication for anyone over 100. I'm only 1.5. What should I do? Oh, Ross, you're going to love answering this one. All right. So everybody needs to be practicing the five keys of being healthy, which is having no addictions, good quality sleep, good quality eating and less of it, three to five hours every week of moderate exertion and most importantly, happiness. And that will reduce your risk for cardiovascular disease by about 83% before you put any pills in your mouth. But a study of 13,500 people over 10 years, between the ages of about 50 up to 75, regardless of cholesterol levels, if your coronary calcium score is below 100 
and yours is pretty close to zero, 1.5, you do not get any long-term benefit from being on a drug to lower your cholesterol, but you always get a benefit from following healthy lifestyle principles. So in your case, certainly no statins. Love it. There you go. Woo! I like that the cardiologist said to you, just ignore your cholesterol. I think that's the takeaway message. <laughs> Never ignore your lifestyle. Never ignore your lifestyle. Ooh, I like it. Thanks, Ross. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode on Eat, Live and Move with Miyagi. Remember, whatever platform you're listening to today, please hit subscribe so you don't miss out when we drop a new episode. That's all from us today. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for more conversations with me, Gina Cleo, and Dr. Happy Ross. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.